Hi, this is Walter Montero, and you're listening to this week's edition of the Real Estate and Mortgage Show. Hey guys, this week's podcast is a replay of the webinar that I held for first-time homebuyers. I want you to check it out and tell me what you think. Uh, I think we've shared some really great information, especially for today's homebuyers in uh, 2016. Uh, it's crazy, crazy market out there, and uh, you definitely want to have a listen to it. So anyway, I hope you enjoy the broadcast, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Good evening. Uh, my name is Walter Montero from Coldwell Banker, and welcome to tonight's webinar. The topic, of course, is uh, first-time homebuyers, and I want to thank you for attending. I'm a pretty matter-of-fact kind of person, so we're going to get right to the subject at hand in terms of uh, getting into the uh, material. And if you have any questions, we're going to have a screen up with my email and phone number at the end of the uh, the presentation so you can uh, direct us to or you can send any of your questions over to us. And, of course, we can we can answer those questions for you with no obligation. And uh, if you want to set up a time to come and see us, by all means, please do so. Uh, so the topic, of course, is first-time homebuyers, and let's get right into it. What we're going to cover is the home buying process. And as you can see in this in this first slide here, there are six different elements of the home buying process that we're going to cover. So we're going to cover, of course, budgeting, evaluating your needs, uh, the actual shopping process, what to do when, uh, when it's offer time, what to do after your offer is accepted, and then the final period, which is the, uh, the firm or the pending period. So in other words, there's no conditions left and you're just waiting for your house to house transaction to close. Okay, so let's start off right from the top here. So the first thing we're going to talk about is budget. When we're talking about budget, you need to determine what you can afford. Okay, and when you when you go out into the marketplace, the last thing you want to do is, you know, find a house you really like and then uh, put in an offer, say conditional on financing or inspection, and then you go to the bank they, you know, unfortunately let you down and say, hey, you can't, um, you can't afford this house. You, uh, you don't qualify for it. So you want to, you want to make sure you qualify for it. Now, your options in terms of qualifying for a mortgage is you can go to a bank or you can go to a mortgage broker. The one thing we have uh, reservations about banks, of course, is that bank employees work for the bank. So their objective is to try and make the bank as much money. So they're, your best interest may not necessarily be at the top of their scale. So when you talk to a mortgage broker, a mortgage broker is very similar to an insurance broker. They don't work for any particular bank. Okay, so they, they have affiliations with banks. They have relationships with banks, but they um, they work for you, the borrower. So they they source out or seek out your your mortgage options. So the way they do that, of course, is number one question is, what do you got for a down payment? So your down payment is really going to determine what you can buy, okay? Because if you qualify for a million-dollar mortgage, but you don't have any down payment, then you can't you can't buy it, okay? So you you've got to you got to determine how much do you have for a down payment. That's going to be the first and uh, first and foremost in terms of of qualifying for a mortgage. The other thing, of course, the mortgage broker is going to do, which a, a lot of times a bank doesn't do, is they verify your income. Okay, they're not uh, they're not just going to take what you say in terms of, you know, how much you actually earn. They want to see pay stubs, they want to see T4 slips, you know, that kind of thing, and they're going to ask you for a letter of employment so that at the end of the day the math is properly calculated 
so they can do a calculation in terms of the percentage of your income that you can use towards your mortgage payment. Usually that works out to somewhere between 30 and 40% of your income, 30% for your mortgage, 40% for all of your debts. Okay, but a discussion with a mortgage broker is basically going to uh, going to determine what you can afford in terms of a payment to um, to service your mortgage. Okay, so the sum total of those two, your down payment plus what you can borrow from the bank, is going to give you your purchase price. Okay, the other thing that you need to keep in mind when you uh, when you qualify for a mortgage is the is your credit history or your credit bureau. Very important, especially these days. There's been so many changes in the uh, in the mortgage arena with regards to qualifying for a mortgage. It's very, very important that your mortgage broker goes over your credit history with you. So when they do that, they're going to look at what your record has been like in terms of paying back your bills. Okay, If you're a little bit sloppy on your credit, that's going to be reflected in that report, which is going to give you a lower score. Sort of the score that banks love to see is somewhere around the 680 mark. Okay, that's a 680 beacon score. That basically means that you're, you've been pretty good in paying your bills. If the score is any less than that, it may mean that you don't qualify with certain lenders. You may your options with you know a mainstream lender may be limited. So you're you're going to have to take a look at your credit score so you can determine you know what kind of rate you're going to pay and you know the lending institution that's going to be able to take you on. Okay. Once they have that figured out, this will help them determine your options and they'll lay those out for you. They'll lay them out for you so you can say, you know, here's bank A, here's what they offer, here's what they want, here's bank B, here's what they want, and then they'll go over your options with you. All right. Once you have that determined, the mortgage broker is going to send that into a lender for a pre-approval. Okay, now this is not, you know, like going into a bank where they do a quick math on the calculator and they say, hey, here's what you qualify for. They've actually, somebody's actually taken the time to underwrite your file. So they've looked at all your supporting documentation and they've said, hey, we're, we're solid with this, these people. And if there's any, any documentation that obviously hasn't been handed in, like a, you know, a job letter or the verification of down payment, they, they may give you a, an approval, a conditional approval pending being satisfied with those other supporting pieces of information. Okay? The next thing you need to do is once you've got that figured out, I can, now you know what you can afford, you want to evaluate your needs. Okay, because, I mean, obviously, when you're buying a home, it's not like buying a pair of shoes. You can take them, you know, back to the store if you didn't like them. Once you buy a home, you own it, and uh, you want to make sure that you're going to be happy in it. So I think that this typically warrants an appointment and a visit with a realtor. A realtor is going to, you know, help you determine the number of bedrooms you need, uh, the number of bathrooms you need, what kind of style of house you're looking for, you know, whether it's a bungalow or a two-story or, you know, are you looking for something in a specific neighborhood, you know, do you need a garage, you know, how old is too old in terms of the age, uh, the yard side, uh, size, that sort of thing. So, you know, when, when you take on a property, you've got to keep in mind that when you sell that house, you're going to incur costs. So the last thing you want to do is buy something that's only going to be good for the next, you know, two or three years because selling that property is going to cost you money. 
right? So what you want to do is make sure that you don't underbuy, okay, in terms of, you know, the type of house you want. But, I mean, of course, you all also don't want to overbuy either. But, you know, you don't want to underbuy because, you know, all of a sudden you're going to end up with a property that um, that doesn't suit your needs within, you know, four to six months. The next thing you need to keep in mind is the realtor will present you with the option of signing a buyer representation agreement. Now, a buyer representation agreement is very similar to a listing agreement. So the buyer representation agreement, what that basically states is that you make a commitment to deal with that agent. So you're going to make a commitment to that agent in terms of dealing with them on an exclusive basis. Now, why is this important? Well, first of all, it, it, it really opens up your options in terms of what you look at in the marketplace. I, I know that some people, some buyers have, you know, the mindset that, hey, I don't, I don't want to get stuck with any particular agent. I'm just kind of kind of do it on my own. I'll deal with the listing agent. The problem with that is you don't have anybody particularly taking care of your best interests. Remember that the listing agent has been hired by the seller to get them the most money possible. So it's almost the same type of deal with regards to you know going into the bank. Well, that particular agent has been hired by the seller. So their best interests for the seller. So if you deal with a with an agent that has you sign a buyer representation agreement, they're going to be looking out for your best interests, of course, in terms of negotiating a deal for you. And they also open up the marketplace in terms of looking at, you know, maybe somebody that they know, uh, a property that isn't listed, or maybe a property that's, you know, for sale by owner. And, you know, they can they can take care of, you know, making sure they get compensated and all that kind of stuff. Don't worry about that. That part of it, I find many times where the where the buyer gets penny wise and pound foolish. So sign a buyer representation agreement because the one thing you got to keep in mind is when you're dealing with an agent, especially a good agent, some agents won't even work with a buyer without this agreement signed, and some will. Okay, but the one thing you got to keep in mind is the agent will have customers that deal with buyers that sign agency agreements, and they have customers that don't deal don't sign buyer agency agreements. Who do you think they're going to be more loyal to? They're going to be more loyal to the agent or to the buyer that signs buyer agency agreement. So keep that in mind when you're when you're out shopping and 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 go over the pros and cons of a seller or a buyer uh, representation agreement. They're very, they're worth they're worth their weight in gold. Okay, so when you're out shopping, the first thing the the agent's going to do is he's going to set you up on something we call Mail Monster. And um, they're going to put you into the MLS under what's called Mail Monster. Mail Monster is basically they take the criteria, all the all the questions that they've asked you in terms of what you're looking for, and then they put that into their Mail Monster system. What what will happen from there? You will receive emails of listings that come onto the marketplace that meet your criteria. The reason that this is better than just going on your own and looking in Realtor.ca, you will get the updates of the listings in real time. Okay, so that means if the property is listed at 10 o'clock this morning and it gets submitted into MLS, at 10.01, you're going to have an email in your inbox showing that, hey, 123 Main Street is for sale. Call call your agent and go and see it. Okay, if you do it by way of Realtor.ca, the one thing that a lot of people forget is Realtor.ca and the MLS system are really two separate entities, okay, because Realtor.ca only uploads information uh, from the MLS at a certain time every evening, okay? So in, in the market that we're in today, we're at a lightning speed market. I've been in the business 30 years, 
I've never ever seen a market faster than we're operating at right now. Okay, so speed to the marketplace is very, very important. And, you know, an hour, two hours, a minute can can either determine whether you're getting that house or not getting that house. So very important that you get up on set set up on Mail Monster. The next thing, for, of course, is that we want you to stay within your budget. Okay, and staying within your budget is very important because you don't want to get into a situation where you overpay for a property. And then, of course, the deal falls apart because you don't qualify for, for the financing, okay? So staying within your budget is very important. So uh, the other question, of course, comes up is, you know, hey, I, I qualify for a $350,000 purchase price. What price range should be, you be looking at? Well, I can tell you in the marketplace that we're in today, um, you certainly shouldn't be looking beyond 350 that's for sure. Uh, if you're looking at something for 360 or 370 and thinking you can talk them into taking a 350 offer, um, that's very likely not the case. In our marketplace, the average, and I'm talking from dollar one to $5 million, the average list uh, price to sale price ra ratio is 99%. So you're, 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 we're in a very tight market here, folks. So for you to get, you know, a price down 10 or 20 or $30,000, it's, it's unreasonable. It's not realistic. It's not going to happen. So keep in mind that, you know, to stay within your budget. Actually, you've really got to keep in mind, especially with what's going on in the marketplace, if you're looking at homes for, say, 310, 320, you, you'll be surprised that that home could very well sell for 350 because there is such a low in, in listing inventory. There's never been a lower time with listing inventory than right now. And we're getting so many people coming in from outside markets that are coming in from higher markets that are throwing around some money and, you know, primarily coming from the GTA. So they come into Cambridge, Kitchener, Waterloo, Guelph, Brantford, and they, they think, wow, these things are cheap. And, and they, they come in guns a-blazing. So you've got to be prepared to, to c compete with those people. So keep that in mind when you're, out, uh, when you're out shopping. Now, the shopping process is really a process of elimination. Okay, so when you're when you're out looking at properties and you, you get an alert on MailMonster, the first thing I tell people to do is drive by the property first. Okay, because really in the grand scheme of things, you know nothing's more frustrating than you know you're set up an appointment, you're going out and you're showing your your buyer property. You pull up to a property and they go, oh geez, I hate you know the the two houses next door, or I don't like this neighborhood, or I, my ex-husband lives across the street, or you know something like that. So make sure you drive by the house first, because then that way, when you're out looking at property, you're not wasting any time. Okay. Now, when you get an alert on a property, don't postpone or delay. We're in a fast-moving moving market, as I said, so you want to make sure that hey, if you're serious about buying a home, don't postpone or delay. Get out there and look at that property and make a move on it. All right. Or eliminate it. That, that's that's all we're asking for. Now, when you're out looking at properties with an agent, you know, and you're looking at uh, different homes, I'm going to suggest that you don't look at any more than five homes per appointment. And realistically, even if you can whittle that down to three, it might it might even be better. Because what I find in my experience, OK, is that buyers start to mix houses together. All right. And, and they, they get mixed up. Uh, folks, I've been in the business 30 years. I start mixing houses together. So the last thing you want to do is get confused in this process. So go out, look at three to five homes, 
determine whether you want to act on these things or you don't want to act on them and then and then move on okay but don't confuse the process with uh with too many homes sometimes we get calls from buyers saying hey uh, i got a list of 10 houses i want to look at i i mean that's crazy you're out of your mind to do that you're going to be confused and it's not going to help the process once you've determined what you want to buy it's offer time okay and offer time what you want to do is you want to determine first of all does does this house meet your needs okay and you know you obviously got to go through your checklist that you know is it got the right number of bedrooms that you wanted the number of bathrooms that you wanted you know is it is it in good condition or does it need work you know all of that stuff in terms of does it meet your needs once you have determined that then you have to determine its true value this is where it's very good to be hooked up with an agent okay with a buyer's agent he's going to go through the same exercise that the listing agent did when they listed the property okay so they're going to pull what's called a comparative market analysis this is basically a study of the marketplace in terms of what properties similar to this property have sold for in the very recent past and then that way that gives you an idea of what to offer on this property okay so it, it guides you through the process that you're, you know, all of a sudden, you know, are you overpaying for a property? You don't want to be in that situation. So lean on your agent in terms of what to determine in terms of its true value. Once you've determined its value and you've determined how you're going to tackle the the offer, you your agent's going to draft the initial offer for you. Now, most people, what we do is, is uh, you know, we determine the price. We need a price to, to draft an offer. We need a closing date. Uh, we need to know what kind of deposit you're going to be giving them. And um, and we need to know what kind of uh, conditions you're going to be inserting. So a deposit typically in our area in this, you know, KWC, Guelph, Brantford area is anywhere from, if you go south towards Brantford, it's more like 1000 to $2,000 deposit. You come into the Cambridge market, it's usually somewhere around five to $10,000. And you can sort of carry that on into, into the Kitchener market. In the Waterloo market, it might be a little bit more. And in Guelph, it might be a little bit more. Deposits are typically around five to $20,000, okay? Now, that deposit, um, and we'll talk about that in a second, but that deposit is, is to accompany the offer to show that you're a bona fide buyer that wants to go ahead with, with an offer. When you draft your offer, you want to discuss your strategy with your, with your agent. If you're the only buyer at the table, then it's just between you and the seller. So you can discuss how you want to tackle, you know, what do we make our initial offer at? Because you know that, you know, they're, they're probably going to counter you. Or, or maybe, the, maybe the house is just very aggressively priced. And if you come to the table and the agent says, hey, you know, Mr. Buyer, this property is worth every nickel they're, paying, they're asking, sometimes we tell people, listen, offer them full price. And then that way you don't have to worry about getting into a multiple offer situation and seeing this thing sell over the top, right? So you want to you wanna discuss the strategy of how you're going to tackle the, um, the initial offer, okay? Conditions. We always recommend people go conditional on inspection and conditional on financing. If you have a condition on sale of your property, well, then, you know, you've got to do that too. But the, the one thing you, you've got to protect yourself is is with those conditions. 
those conditions, a conditional financing and inspection, the the typical length of time that they normally run is no more than three to five business days. So you're not going to tie up a house for two weeks or a month on those conditions because, you know, the, the seller's just not going to tolerate it. They're going to assume that, hey, you've got your ducks in a row. I'll give you three to five days to, to determine it. And, uh, and if it doesn't go, then they're, they're going to find another buyer. Now, the condition on sale of property, that usually is somewhere around two weeks to two months. It just depends on you know, how saleable your property is. That is, of course, if you have a property to sell. But being that this is a first-time homebuyer's uh, webinar, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to worry about that. Once you've determined that, we want to make sure that we propose or present your offer as soon as possible. Because, as I said, you don't want to get into a situation where you're competing against other buyers. Now, this brings me to the next slide. Okay, and this is sort of a new phenomenon that's going on in, in today's marketplace, and that is called Form 244, which is the seller's direction for offers and property. So what the situation here is, as I had mentioned to you earlier, the market is just so low on inventory. There's nothing, there's nothing to buy out there. So the last thing you want to um, – what the last thing the seller wants to do is – is sell it to the first buyer walking in because they know that, um, you know, the property is going to sell. So what they want to do is try and get as many buyers in as possible. So they, they sign with the listing agent what's called a 244 form. And this 244 form basically states, and I'll, I'll try and open it up for you in another, another format here, is if you can see that, it shows that the seller hereby directs that no presentations of offers takes place before this particular time. Okay, and the reason they do that is because obviously they want to make sure that they're not leaving any money on the table. Okay, it creates a, a, like a bidding war type of env environment. So you see a buyer, you see a property with a form that has where that has a 244 form signed on it, and you know I just finished telling you to act quickly. Unfortunately, with a 244 form, you can't act quickly. You can only act uh, within the time that the seller wants to see offers. Okay, so that's just a phenomenon that's going on right now, and unfortunately, it's just it, and it doesn't look like it's letting up any anytime soon. So you negotiate the offer, you determine what you're going to pay for this place. If you're getting in a, into a 244 form, this is where you see properties selling for astronomical prices above the list price. And folks, it's, this is not this is not unusual. This is this is normal. So uh, you negotiate it out, and once you get your offer accepted, then this is another step in the process. You get your offer accepted. What's going to happen now is, remember that deposit I was talking to you about? Now it gets cashed. It goes into the real estate listing agent's trust account. So you've got your conditions, if you've got any, okay? And then um, you determine, you know, you're satisfied with the, the condition of the property, the bank's giving you the green light, then, you know, uh, that's when the things are, are dealt with. So you get your offer accepted, the deposit is cashed, you complete the financing, uh, you conduct your home inspection, and, uh, you, of course, you review the, the inspection report, make sure that you're satisfied with everything. If something major comes up in the inspection report that you're not happy with, You've got a couple of a couple of things to do here. You can either just get out of the deal, or you can try and renegotiate with the seller. Hey, I didn't realize your furnace was on its last legs, or there's a crack in the heat exchanger, or there's mold in the attic, or whatever. You know, you've got to get those fixed. 
you can try and renegotiate the deal. Even in a multi-member, we were talking about multiple offer situations, you can even end up doing that afterwards. Now, again, just sort of as a preface to that, a lot of times in multiple offer situations, you don't even have the chance of putting in conditions. So this may not even be relevant. But nonetheless, if you do have a condition on on uh, inspection and uh, something major shows up in the uh, the inspection report, then you've got the opportunity to renegotiate the deal. Okay? After you've determined you got the financing, after you're satisfied with the uh, the inspection, this is where you waive your conditions. So in other words, you're, you're literally taking them right out of the offering. You are now in what's called a firm and binding contract. So that means you, you own the house for all intents and purposes. You just don't have possession of it yet. You're going to get possession of it on the day that you, you determined with the seller uh, in terms of when you're going to get the property. Okay, This is what we call the firm or pending period. Okay, After the firm or pending period, uh, happens, this is where you hire a lawyer. Now, some people like to hire their lawyer beforehand. Sometimes they like to have the buyer, or I'm sorry, the lawyer look at the agreement before they sign off on it, or maybe they make a conditional on the lawyer's approval. May or may not be necessary. A lot of the buyers I deal with, they don't they don't worry about that. A lot of these clauses are standard, as long as it is conditional and the, and the you know, the person is protected, you know, uh, they don't get too uh, get too fussy about but th this is where the lawyer gets hired the lawyer at this point needs to be involved in the transaction what they do is they search title of the property and what that means is they want to make sure that you know the taxes are paid that the mortgage is up to date you know that there are no liens on the property you know personally maybe you know the seller you're buying from has had issues with you know maybe CRA and uh, you know, there's liens on the back. They want to make sure that when you get possession of this property, you pick up none of those, none of that person's problems. Okay, so there's no mortgage on the property; it's free and clear, and you can get clean title to the property. Okay, the next thing you want to do is you want to make sure you get fire insurance. The one thing about getting a mortgage on a property, especially with a mortgage, if you can't get fire insurance on a property, you can't get a mortgage because um, no bank in the land will give you a mortgage on a property unless you're able to get fire insurance. So very important to determine that. In fact, so much so that you may even want to consider, depending, on, of course, on the age of the house, and lean on your buyer's agent for this, you may even want to consider making the, your offer conditional on you being able to uh, obtain insurance, okay? Especially on some of those older homes with, like, knob and tube wiring or with aluminum wiring. A lot of homes built in the 70s, uh, you know, if when you're walking through a property, I'll, I'll give you a couple of tricks in terms of trying to figure out the age of the property. First of all, with the, with the 70s properties, typically it's not unusual to find aluminum wiring in these houses. Now, is aluminum wiring bad? It depends. But if there is aluminum wiring in there, first of all, not every lender likes it. So you've got to determine what your options are with that, number one. And number two, not every insurance company likes it. So you got to make sure that if the house has aluminum wiring, there is a specific clause that is actually addressed in there on how to remedy aluminum wiring. And it doesn't always require stripping out all the wiring. It, it requires some work done by an electrician. But you want to do that. So if it's a house built in the 70s, so a couple of tricks in terms of determining the age. A lot of times, if you've got like a, like a thermal pane window, if you look on the metal portion of the thermal pane window, if you're looking at the window and right at the base of the window before it becomes attached to the wood, 
a lot of times those things are date stamped. So you look at the date in there. Now, if the windows were replaced, well, then, you know, that doesn't work. But if it, they haven't been, you can, you can see in there. Like the other day I showed a house and it, on the listing it showed that the uh, house was built in 1991. While we're showing this thing, I look at the window stamp and all the windows are stamped 1974. So I don't know what this agent was thinking, but this house was a whole lot older. And actually, as a result, it had aluminum wiring. The other thing you want to look at is the toilet. Now, a lot of people replace their toilets, especially with, you know, with 70s uh, houses, you got some pretty funky colors going on with fixtures, right? So a lot of people have swapped those out. But if they haven't, then if you lift the lid of the toilet, you know when your toilet gets kind of blocked up and you have to lift the lid? Lift that lid and just kind of flip it over. And there's a, now nine times out of ten, there's a date stamp on that lid. Now, what that's telling you is the date of the toilet, okay? But the one thing about toilets is toilets are typically not warehoused because they're very fragile, right? So usually what happens is the year that the toilet was built is usually the same year that it's delivered to the marketplace, okay? So that will, if it's not, you know, bang on, it's only off by maybe six months or a year. So uh, that's usually another trick that I look for to determine, you know, the age of a house. So those are kind of the, the two tricks that I use, all right? The other thing, of course, is the lawyer is going to draft your mortgage. He's the one that's going to draft the mortgage for you as per how the bank has instructed him to draft it. The interest rate, how you're going to pay it back, when is it due in terms of maturity, um, any penalties that will apply, any prepayment privileges that it has, any uh, uh, rights that you may have in terms of doubling up on payments. He's going to draft all that for you, and then you, when you go and see him, when you go meet with the lawyer, then he's going to he's going to have you uh, sign all that stuff. At the same time, this is where the lawyer proves down payment and, of course, the, um, the conditions, and, and they execute all the documents, and, uh, and then the lawyer closes the transaction, all right? You're going to give them all that money. The bank's going to send them the check, and they're going to close the deal. Once the deal closes, okay, you're going to get a call from the lawyer and say, hey, congratulations, you're the, you're the new owner of the house, and um, that is... Uh, about it, you now own a home. Um, I'm not sure if anybody has any questions, uh, but if you do, I would invite you to either give me a call at the office, 519-624-9222, or you can email me at walter at maximumresults.ca. Okay? Thanks very much for uh, showing up tonight, folks. I really appreciate it. I'll leave that screen up for a bit longer just so you can write down that number and uh, the email address. And um, that's all I have to say for now. All right. Thanks for attending the webinar. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of the Real Estate Mortgage Show. If you have any real estate questions, please direct them to me at 519-624-9222 or walter at maximumresults.ca or you can find me online at www.cambridgehouses.com. If your interests are in mortgages, please feel free to call 519-624-9222 or email Karen at Karen at MaximumResults.ca or you can find her online at www.m as in Mary, R as in Roger, financial.ca. Thanks again for listening and I hope you have a great week.